Okay, welcome back to the Glide Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ez Chandra, and on this episode, we're having a chat with um, Charlie Gunningham about how startups can build value. So really great to have you here, Charlie. Great Thank to be here. So Thanks, Ez. Yeah, awesome. Um, so yeah, look, we've got really lots of topics to talk about today, uh, mainly around the startup industry and culture. We're quite involved in it as, right. as well great. as an agency. Good. So I'd love to share some thoughts around that. But um, before we get into all of that, I want to talk about you. you. I want to who am I? Who you are and uh, <laughs> right. give a bit of an intro to the, uh, to the audience. So yeah. we've got Charlie Gunningham, who's spent 20 years in Perth's startup scene an economics teacher from the UK. He left teaching to set up AussieHome.com, a real estate web business in 1999, which pioneered online mapping six years before Google Maps. Correct. Really good. It was tough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So AussieHome.com was later acquired by Rewa in 2010, which Charlie and his team went on to continue to run Rewa.com. So you had a small team that you're looking after. Yeah. Um, and then you moved to Business News and you led their digital transformation as a CEO. Um, recently, uh, Charlie's been an advisor to the Australian government on a $485 million startup fund and consults to various WA-based tech businesses. Charlie also runs Startup News and is a co-host of Startup West podcast. Correct. Awesome. So welcome to the show, Charlie. Um, let's start off with, you know, about yourself. Like, obviously, we've had a bit of an intro, yeah, but yeah. yeah, if you could tell us a bit about, you know, that transition, I think, as an economics teacher. Yeah, well, originally a teacher. Uh, I yeah. taught in North London, then went to Singapore because I first came to Australia in the 80s, got an older brother who ended up in Brisbane, got married. I went over for the wedding. And as soon as I landed in Australia, from dingy, dark England, I went, what is this place? This is awesome. You know, the sun was shining. Yeah. They just won the America's Cup. They just had the Commonwealth Games. And I thought, I, I just instinctively got on well with Aussies. Yeah. Um, Singapore was supposed to be a couple of years, maybe as a sort of stepping stone to Australia. Ended up meeting a girl of my dreams, Lisa. I've been married to for 26 years. We got married there. Played a lot of cricket. Drummed in a rock band. Had a great time. Kept jumping into Australia on holidays. Taught in a big expat school there finally landed in Perth in 97 mm. um, to do an MBA because I thought I'd be a headmaster one day yeah, right. and I'll have an MBA, right? Because I was economics trained, but I was teaching business. I thought, do an MBA. Um, got a part-time job at Hale School, completed my MBA and was originally back teaching full-time. Head of commerce at Hale, coaching the cricket, got a house mm. finally, uh, two cars in the garage, wife working in the city, all good. Then I threw all that away to do a crazy Dot com as they were known then. So what I mean, now what, call a what, tran- what transi- transitioned you from being an economics teacher to, yeah. that, you know, look, I'm going to start a dot com. Right. <laughs> well, I met this guy called Nick on the MBA. We were both not from Perth, but we'd both bought a property in Perth. And back in the late 90s, and it had been this way for probably 50 years, you waited for the weekend paper mm. and get the real estate classified section. Remember that? Yes. It's like 120 pages, yes, columns exactly. and columns and columns, classified ads. Yep. You know, the ink came off in your hands. Half the ads had no price or even where the property was. You had to ring up the real estate agent. You charge around the home opens. You did weeks and weeks and weeks of that. There was no real sites you could go to, websites, in between the week. Mm. You just have to wait till a Saturday or a Sunday, charge around the home opens. Weeks and weeks of that. Nick and I got talking towards the end of the MBA and just towards graduation, which was a few months after. And we thought, there's got to be a better way. And we were amazed there wasn't really good real estate sites already. Mm. Um, there were a few, but uh, what we wanted to do was mapping. And when we found that Perth was a center of mapping expertise, because mm-hmm. the mining industry, 
Take an isolated mining town. There you will shall find mapping technology or GIS technology as it's known. Um, so we thought, hey, we're in a global center of mapping. And yeah, this is six years for Google Maps. It was really expensive and really hard, but we were, I haven't found any other that got a map-based real estate site out before us. So AussieHome.com was duly launched end of 99. I quit my safe teaching job and Nick and I did it together. That's, piled in. That's brilliant. And, and it was before we had kids, so I probably thought, you know, let's give it a go. If it doesn't work, could always go back to teaching. That's not going away. Um, but let's go and do this and give it a red hot go, see, see how far it lasts. Yeah. If I mean, you saw the opportunity it. there yeah. long before. Um, and did you, when you went into it, did you do a lot of planning and all that sort of stuff, or did you just really jump in? A little bit. A couple of MBAs can write <laughs> a business plan. Yeah, yeah. You know, competitive landscape, yeah. checked out the technology, right. how do you make this work, business model. Mm. We spoke to some of our MBA professors, and before a few, for too long, they were writing checks and going, well, do you need some money? And they were in, three of our MBA professors invested in the business. Mm. We raised a couple hundred thousand dollars from about a dozen people quite quickly. That was the dot-com boom. Mm. Everyone had a dot-com idea in 99. If you had an MBA and a dot-com idea, people threw money at you. Away you go. <laughs> but a few months later, the do- no one maybe remembers the dot-com crash like I do of Easter 2000. Suddenly, you were a pariah. Mm. No one wanted to know you. Right. But we were already like three or four months in by then. We already had the, the side up and running. Pretty rinky-dink, but we were, at least we were out live. Mm. And um, with the uh, actual scene of the startup. Well, there wasn't really a scene. There wasn't a scene no, back then. Yeah, there wasn't a scene. There was no co-working so, spaces, no so you, accelerators, This nothing. was really raw, wasn't it? It was like, raw. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, there weren't many of us kicking yeah. around. Yeah. Within a few years, I, I bumped into people like Laurie from seabreeze.com.au, um, a few other people like that, Jackie from ineedhits.com, um, Rob from QuickFlix. Do you remember the pre- precursor to Netflix? Yes. That's actually an Australian site. It doesn't exist anymore. And we formed a group in the sort of mid-2000s called eGroup, which mm. still meets to this day, which mm. is internet entrepreneurs getting together first Tuesday of the month just mm. to talk stuff. And what's said in the room stays in the room. And that was a very supportive and important network for us. Yeah. This is years before Space Cubed and the first co-working spaces or the first angel groups. There was nothing like that in the 2000s. So they came that, along about did 2012. Did that get you through? That, that period, yeah, I'd say think? so. Yeah, that yeah. sort of emotional support. That's right. And I learned a lot from that. Oh, that's a good idea. Because we weren't competing with each other. We were all tackling similar problems. And like we were the first doing it. We were the pioneers. It was like pioneers in the Wild area. West. Yeah. That's right, we yeah. were. Yeah. And, and look, a lot of us didn't survive, but a few did. And then e-group grew. And then along came in the early 2012, 13, a little bit more of what you'd call now a startup community. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, I guess that's that's often what startups have now. They've got access to mentors yeah. and people like yourself to come and chat to and get some ideas. Lots of meetups, a lot of groups. Exactly, yeah. Um, you can really hit any part of the startup scene in Perth and WA and you'll end up finding the bit that is important for you. It's that's like right. a spider web. You'll exactly, hit one part yeah. of it yeah. and then find your way to where you need to be. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, you know, going fast forward to today where we are now mm. um, there is a lot of support that startups have um, how do you feel like I mean obviously startups it's really difficult for them at the moment it is know, sometimes but they are the heroes of society and I want to be clear um, what a startup is so to yeah. me a startup is it's got a high degree of technology in it scalable business model and scalable technology and that's the exciting bit and they're doing something disruptive so they're either creating a new industry 
or they're disrupting the incumbents of an existing industry. And that's why they're interesting. Mm. So they go in, change all the rules, and that's also why it's hard. But if you've got a scalable, what I would call SaaS business model, software as a service, subscriptions business model, um, and you can then build scale, then they can create enormous wealth pretty fast. So probably the most famous one to do that is Canva. Mm. which came out of Perth, uh, but moved to Sydney pretty early on in its journey. Mm. Um, couldn't raise money here, ended up getting funded incidentally by one of the co-founders of Google Maps, Lars Rasmussen, who was then working for Facebook at the time, Bill Tai, a visiting VC from, from Silicon Valley and a few others, plus a grant from the federal government, actually the, the forerunner of the grant I've just worked for, backed Canva in 2012, 2013. And it's now worth $8 billion. Now, mm. you can't do that sort of wealth creation very easily That's in right. other types of businesses. Mm. There's nothing, I'm not criticizing any other types of businesses, but if you're a lawyer or an accountant or a pharmacy or a fish and chip shop, it's difficult to go to $8 billion from zero in eight years. And yet, that's what Mel and Cliff have done with Canva. So that's why I find them exciting. And that's why I love working with them. So mm. I've done my own journey for 10 years. And the last 10 years, I've been sort of mentoring, advising, and where I can afford it, investing in mm. startups. And you've also seen a gap in the market because you're saying that as a state, Western Australia, we're not really behind not really. our startup no. industry. Yeah. A stat I read recently on TechBoard, which is a local sort of funding data site that looks at all the deals around the country, found that um, where there was, I think, $7 billion worth of funding for startups countrywide in Australia last year, only 25 million private deals mm. in WA. Mm. And one of them was a $12 million deal, Picture Wealth, and another one was a $5 million deal. So really, we're only talking about 8 million for everybody else. In Western Australia. In Western yeah. Australia, the whole state that is backing potentially the next Canva, you know, mm. a scalable SaaS And that 7 model. billion includes both private and um, that was just private That's and doesn't private, include, yeah. I think that does include grants actually, yes. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay. And I did, I did a few grants in the last year, yeah. which was great. Um, so the, the funding, I'm not saying everything should be funded. Most things should not be funded, right? But somewhere amongst them all, there will be some jewels. Like your canvas and stuff. Yeah, so. like yeah. a potential one that's going to disrupt an incumbent or create a new industry and could create great wealth and create great jobs. Yes. And great value yeah. for everybody. And the um, jobs stay here. Yeah, and the jobs stay here. And they're yeah. good, well-paying jobs. And they're clean jobs, you know. And they're sustainable jobs and, and all that. So, and so I would say to anyone out there listening that it is a great sector to be involved in. Hmm. And the people who've made their money, whether they've made it in property or mining, should look at this sector a bit more seriously and get involved. And the least you can do is jump onto Startup News or go down to Space Cubed and attend some events and just take an interest. Yeah. Uh, there are some angel investors out there who are, who are very active, but an individual angel investor on their own can maybe do four, five, or half a dozen investments be before they're full, and they can't give meaningful support to more than half a dozen. So we yeah. need more of them, more Excuse angel me. groups. We need more funding groups. Venture cap There isn't really a venture capital community here. It's over east, mm. you know. There's um, Better Lab Ventures, which is run by RAC, backed by RAC, so hats off to them, a $23 million fund. And then there's a big yawning chasm, really, mm. back to the occasional little ad hoc funding route, which comes down to who you know, fathers, brothers, cousins, uncle, has some money and would like to invest in it. You know, it's that ad hoc. Yeah, yeah. 
which goes untraceable as well. So t- tell us, tell us about mm. the uh, four hundred and eighty-five, the million-dollar government grant. Mm. Kind of working on that. That's your that was great fun. I yeah. did that for three years. Finished up in June. Mm. It's called Accelerating Commercialization. Mm. It's a federal government program. Although I was based here, I was one of twenty advisors in the country, two in WA, and I was charged with going out and finding st- best job, going out and finding startups and innovators who have got their product to a, like an MVP, minimum viable product stage but they haven't yet made commercial sales. So they're sort of stuck in the valley of death. Okay. But they raised some money, got it somewhere, but they haven't quite got out yet. Right. And the program was to try and rescue those and get them out and get them funded. It was a dollar for dollar, up to a million dollars matching grant program. Um, great program. I, I uh, Just did last year alone, I met 300 separate companies and innovators and people who inquired about the program. Um, but it has quite specific um, eligibility criteria and competitive criteria. Amongst those 300, who I hope I helped them all, I took six to Canberra and four got grants, an average grant of about half a million. Yeah, brilliant. And the program still exists to this day. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been going in various forms for about 20 years. Mm. And I think um, that's also transitioned the market into this equity crowdfunding um, type strategy. Yeah, well, there's another area um, which is interesting and that's only come in in the last few years because of changing rules because Mm. up until then if you're a private company you couldn't have more than you know 50 shareholders 20 in a year etc etc so now with equity crowdfunding a private company can have dozens and hundreds potentially of shareholders which can create its own problems but it is another way to raise money so we've seen Tiller Rides which is a really cool e-bike in Fremantle raised over a million dollars, um, I think, end of last year with equity crowdfunding. Recently, the wonderful uh, Renee Bunster from Bunster Sources, the hot sources, yes. she raised two million yes, that's right. on equity crowdfunding. So there have been some successes with that new funding area. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, no, we've seen a lot of growth um, as an agency. That's the sort of campaigns that we run. Right, um, okay. So we specialize in equity crowdfunding. But it came from the, the Tiller campaign, actually. Ah, um, right. And we thought we'd give it a crack, um, and it did really well. But That's it's great. not an easy campaign to do. You know, it's mm. not when you're doing, say, e-commerce sales, you can directly attribute the revenue that you're generating from the campaign. Yeah. Whereas with equity crowdfunding, um, it's just a lot more trickier because you're getting people to get in their wallets and invest. Yeah. In not just, you know, something that's going to give them a direct ROI, but effectively an, an idea or you know, some sort of project that's really going to take off potentially in the future. Yeah. So there's a lot of risk um, created with that. So that's the tricky part about doing yeah. those sort of campaigns. And I would say everyone mm. should look at their portfolio and go, okay, I've got my property over here where probably most of my money is, and maybe some ASX stocks. Mm. Um, and, and maybe a little bit over there is a bit of play money yes. if you can afford it. Mm. And for a lot of the startups, you know, 10 grand can get them maybe to MVP. 50 grand can get them to customers. You don't need a lot of money. Agreed. And, yep. you know, that's, that sort of investment is, is lacking and, and more of that, more of that availability. And then the follow-on investment's important. You know, the quarter of a million, half million dollar round, the two to three million dollar Series A. You know, where, where's the WA company going to go and get that from? That's beyond angels. Mm-hmm. So you look to venture capital and you go, well, there aren't many in WA, maybe one. No. So maybe we lose those ideas overseas, mm-hmm. you know, or over east. Um, and that's my frustration. So uh, I'm not saying everything should be invested in them. I'm just talking about a little bit. 
That's right, yeah. Uh, but I think, I think that's why equity crowdfunding is good because it creates that opportunity which has come out of this frustration, I guess, yeah. of not being able to just get an investor to rock and up. And other countries have done it well, right? Yeah. So New Zealand, like the US, and US the, the UK, have yeah. been way before us in yeah, yeah. equity crowdfunding. And no. also in Australia, I think the, the, the common platforms are virtual, uh, equitize and pledge me. Yep. Um, and they'll often have different stages. So they'll have an expression of interest stage, which is, runs for about four weeks. Hmm. And then they'll close the round and then it'll become the investment round. Yep. That's when people, that's when the cash actually comes in. And it's democratizing that whole that's area right. of yeah. uh, allowing more people to be involved mm. in startups and mm. fundable tech companies, scalable companies, um, and allowing these companies to be funded. Yeah. But you know what? A lot of people don't know. And, and it just needs to be, it's so frustrating. Do you know you can get a tax break from investing in startups? Did you know that? I didn't know. You get a 20% no. tax um, offset. Mm. So it's called. Um, Early Stage Innovation Company, ESIC. So I'd ask anyone interested, Google Early Stage Innovation Company. It's on the ATO website. If the startup can classify itself, which is a self-diagnosis thing, as an ESIC, mm-hmm. and increasingly they say on their pitch decks now, we're an ESIC, mm-hmm. then the investors can get up to $200,000 tax offset, up to a million dollars investment if you're a sophisticated investor, or 50 grand if you're a mom and pop investor. So you put money into this ESIC, you can offset 20% of that against your tax that year, right? And that's just not the good part. The better part is you get a 10-year capital gains exemption. So if that company, you hold those shares for at least a year and you own less than 30% of the company and you get an exit within 10 years, it's tax-free with no ceiling. I don't think many people know about that. Mm. That was brought in in 2016. It's been around four years. But the people I talk to, unless you're in Perth Angels and in the scene, you don't know about it. And I think that would really, the whole thing was designed, I think it was the best thing Malcolm Turnbull ever did, was to bring that in. Mm. Again, based on an idea in the UK, which works very well, Mm. where I think it's called EIS. So most people in the UK only invest in EIS accredited companies. So we can get this ESIC thing out there and better known, that has got to bring in more individual funding. And imagine if your accountant says to you, as you know what you need to do? You need to invest in an ESIC. Because there's a 20% tax uh, offset and a 10-year capital gains exemption. And you go, what's an ESIC? Yeah. And then they tell you, I've got to find myself an ESIC yeah, yeah, or yeah, two. That's right, yeah. Get myself that tax deduction and mm. also maybe help an early stage company get out there and scale yeah. and have and some I, fun along the way. Yeah, and I think that's why ECFs like, um, are really good yep. because it allows you to get in touch and reach out to a community that you would not have normally done so through your normal network so for and wouldn't ins- investing in an ESIC yes right yeah also if it's an ESIC you'd get that you'd still get that 20% yeah, tax you offset yeah, right, you yeah. still get that title games exemption. Yeah, so yeah. double whammy triple whammy yeah and that's the I mean even like say Renee Bunster and yeah um, Tiller Rides uh, some of those really successful campaigns it's because they had originally had communities built around yes. their brand yes which is what they why they did well so they already had yeah. gone to market they'd proven that their product did work and they had the buy-in. Yep. So that just made it a lot easier. And you know, a, pro- a bike, like an e-bike like um, Attila Rides, um, it had that um, you know, that yeah, sustainable energy community yeah. around that And product. have you ridden one? They're so cool. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah. They're really cool. It doesn't cool. even feel like you're riding a bike. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> you're just zipping along uphill into yeah, the wind, yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah I'll have great. to get uh, Julian here on the oh, show. They look so right? cool <laughs> as well. They look so funky and cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the other thing is, um, you know, 
going into that startup business, um, there's a lot of challenges that startups mm. face. Sure. Um, obviously, funding is one, but yep. there's many others. <laughs> um, can oh, you yeah. talk us through that? Like some of your, I guess, top challenges, things that, top things that you see. Obviously, you've come across a lot of startups in your time, but top things that most common things that you see um, yeah. as to why startups fail or they yeah. hit, hit startups sound very glamorous, but yeah. I can tell you it's not. You know, drinking a maca frappuccino and breezing through a co-working space, wearing tight jeans and a cool mm. beard—that's mm. not startup. Startup is very much like banging your head against a wall for five years, mm. a lot of pain, and it's probably not going to be much fun, right? And it's probably not going to work. Right? Most likely. That's the reality. <laughs> Nearly everyone I talk to who says, what do, you, what do you know now that you'd wish you'd known at the beginning? And they tell me something. And then they go, but you know what? If I knew it was going to take this long, I probably wouldn't have done it. Mm. And that's often the, the thing. So the common error that I make, and I, used to, I sit down with startups all the time and tech companies and have a cup of coffee and I want to get to know them and see what they're doing. The first 20 minutes, they go gushing about their product. They tell me all about this app they built and all the features. And I'm sitting there going, okay, I can't for the life of me imagine who the customer is or why the customer's going to pay these guys some money. So I have to stop them and go, who's your customer? And what value do you create for the customer such that they will pay you to solve that problem, right? Mm. And often that stops them and, you know, I got it wrong. So when I started Aussie Home, Nick and I started it because we were frustrated in the old way of buying a property and searching for Going property. through the paper and right? all that, yeah. But home buyers and renters weren't our customer. Mm. Our customer was the real estate agent. Mm. What's their problem? We didn't figure this out until 18 months post-launch. And we'd had a couple of near-death experiences along the way, Right. We didn't figure out what it was. Do you know what the problem is for, for real estate? What they spend 70% of their time and money on? What actually wakes them up at night in a cold sweat? Getting screaming, the getting the listing. Yeah. Bingo, yeah, gold yeah. starter airs, well done. Most <laughs> people get that wrong. Most people go, finding the buyer, making the sale. You know, No, if they price and present the property correctly, it, it pretty much always sells. Because they would have missed the, the paper run or whatever it is. And, yeah. Buyers buy properties, they seek yeah. out properties, right? So most of the time, it's about the listing. They have a saying in real estate called list and last, mm. right? They also say, buyers are liars. So they don't really care much about buyers. Um, they care about the, the guy who's the vendor mm. because the vendor, the owner of the property, mm. is their client. That's where they get their money from. So we went, oh, it's all about the listing. So we started doing websites, magazines, later, apps, social media. Uh, none reduce, of this reducing the friction for them to get the listing up make yeah. them look sexy in the listing interview and get the listing because yeah. once they get the listing it's a zero sum game they get 100% of the commission mm. none of these things was in our business plan mm -hmm. you know, and do a fancy MBA and mm -hmm. do, an, do a business plan and raise money but I would say what you end up doing what you end up making money from mm. could be 180 degrees away from what you thought it was going to be yeah I mean Instagram was the same I think it started off as an app that was just um, putting location, like basically put your location mm. of where you are mm. and then you took pictures of where you were and then yeah. you told your friends where you were. I think it was called Bourbon or something back right. in the day. And then it evolved because people were taking all these photos. Mm -hmm. It got more involved into an actual photo social yeah. media app. 
and that's where, where it is today. So, so I would say like to yeah. so any startup, and I do say, <laughs> who is your customer? Hint, mm. that's the person paying you money, not your mm. user. Don't confuse them like we did. Who's your customer? Get to know your customer. Listen to your customer. Spend time with your customer. Find out what their problems are. Mm. And then solve them. Yeah, and and if you solve them, they might pay you. And if they pay you, you might have a business. Yeah, and often, um, I guess startups, they will come up with the idea and they're so obsessed with the idea that they often forget. They fall in love with their idea. Yeah. I don't care about your idea. <laughs> I don't care about your product. And I don't care about your features. Because you know what? Yeah. The customer doesn't buy features mm. or products. The customer buys solutions to their mm. problems. And the other issue, I guess, with startups is you'll often hear, oh, you know, I've got my app built or I've got my website built or whatever. And then you have a look at it and it's, you know, you just go, oh. Because that's you, the easy bit. How much did you spend on it? And yeah. they'll say, oh, you know, I spent, some of them will say I spent 500 bucks. And some, no. <laughs> some will say that they've spent, you know, tens of thousands. Hundreds of, dollars, of thousands in some cases, I met. And that's yeah. when your heart sinks. Cause you it does. Yeah. It does. And, and especially when I can't understand the business model, the customer, the mm. value proposition, why mm. is someone going to actually pay for this? You know, it's like, oh dear, worrying. Yeah. You know, it's very easy when you have money to spend it. I again did the same. We, we raised $200,000. By the day we opened our, our doors, we only had 75 grand in the bank. Mm. We spent 125 grand of our 200. It was very easy to go out and spend money. Anyone can buy things. Buying things is easy. Yeah. Buy an office, buy some staff, rent some space, get a business plan, market, get a website up there, better marketing promotions. What's hard is getting sales in, getting revenue in. That's why you've got to focus on the customer. That's why you've got to get the customer in so you can scale up as quickly and as possible. spend time yep. with the customer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, there, there was a few things um, that I noticed. There was uh, a study that I looked at was Bill Gross. Um, mm. I'm sure you know who he yeah. is. I think he did a study over 200 companies and he had five components. Did a good was, TED Talk on it, I think. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So yeah. five components that he was using to measure the success of those companies. Yeah. I think one was um, uh, the execution of it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the idea. First it's mm -hmm. the idea. Then it's the execution in the team. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's things like timing, which was really interesting. Mm. And then how, how much funded they were and, and so forth. I think it's called Why Startups Fail or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, the interesting thing is that one thing I see is the timing issue. Like is a lot of people come up with a great idea, but timing is, I yeah. think in the study was the I most I think he said that's the most important it reason. It is the like most important reason. Airbnb yeah. and Netflix came out of the GFC. It was timing, mm. right? And it is timing. So you cannot win a race if it's already been run. So I've had startups come to me, and I won't name them, but they've, they've come to me, they've spent money on this app, and I'm going, but there's a free one already out there done by a government department. I'm thinking... The, the race has already run. You can't win a race if it's already won. Yeah. Now, it, it's bad enough being too early because yeah. too early feels a lot like being wrong, right? But being early is better than being too late. Yeah. If you've missed the wave, you've missed it, it's gone. Yeah. Have you read the book, um, The Outliers? No. I heard about it. It's I'm a really reading. good book. Um, but he talks about um, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, and mm. the founders of um, Sun Microsystems. Right. Oh, just a group of these guys. Um, they were all born between 1954 and 1955, which was like that right. critical year. Mm -hmm. But then both Steve Jobs and Bill Gates went to found 
Apple and Microsoft retrospectively in, um, sorry, it was 1975. So it's just that window. Mm. Um, And again, it's time. I I so believe in timing. Um, Also, uh, the guy that created Zoom. Yeah. Eric. (laughs) Talk about timing. (laughs) Eric Yuan. So um, with Eric, he he actually um, went to, he was a university scholar and he was frustrated with the long trips that he would catch on the train. Um, he couldn't get in touch with his girlfriend, so he created, he started coding a, mm-hmm. a video conferencing app mm-hmm. to connect with his girlfriend. Oh, we already had Skype though, didn't we? I, I think so. We yeah. did. Might have, yeah. But Zoom is so much easier to use. Yeah. You just send a link. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know? Yeah. But at, at that time, easier. at that time, he was, you know, going backwards and forwards. But yeah. then I think he actually applied for his US citizenship nine times before he actually got in. Right. to the US because he really wanted to get into that um, Silicon Valley um, yeah. finally he made it um, and then he started WebEx oh he didn't start he, he worked started on working WebEx. there and mm. then he was a vice VP he made a VP of right, WebEx right 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 and then he left um, because they got bought out by Cisco um, and then eventually he left um, and he started Zoom and he floated Zoom on the uh, stock exchange I think went public in 2019 late 2019 and then 2020 January COVID hits so you know yeah it's time timing yeah, is that's, tr- right. <laughs> that's the best example of timing that I can think yeah, of absolutely right absolutely but right. um yeah I think um sometimes having that reality check you know in terms of where yeah. you are with your idea and where everything else has is around you in your environment but being early is yeah. tough we, we were probably early if we'd started any later we probably wouldn't have raised the money and then by 2003, realestate.com came out, domain mm-hmm. was 2005, so race one. So we were pretty sure the race wasn't over. There mm-hmm. were some local people running around trying to do it, but there was no real map-based real estate side no. or whatever. Most of our clients weren't even on the internet at all. We got them on the internet, then we did their websites and then coded their website to us, which actually ended up being a strategic brilliance completely by fluke because it sort of locked them into our system mm. and then we're using the Aussie home system. And when Real Estate Comp actually came to town in 2003, we had an interesting strategic decision to make. Do we say, no, you can't have our clients? Mm-hmm. I think they probably would have squashed us like a fly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Instead, we went, well, why don't we feed properties to realestate.com, which protects our clients on our system, and then realestate.com actually built, paid us to build the feed to them and paid us for every client that used it, as did Domain, as did Rewa. So we sort of nullified the threat of the larger internet businesses. Mm. And anyway, the big, you know, the big monopoly was print. It was the West Australian and the Sunday Times. That's where most of the money was going in 2000. Mm. But by 2010, by the time we sold to Rewa and all my team went into Rewa, which was an excellent exit, cash exit, good price. Yep. I got job to run Rewa.com. All my staff got jobs at Rewa. It was really good. Brilliant, Rewa yeah. were fantastic. They looked after my staff brilliantly. Shout out to Ann Arnold and Neville Posse. They were fantastic. The CEO and CFO at the time. Neville's now the CEO. Uh, by the time 2010 came along, pretty much all real estate agents we just were spending up. most of their money on the net yep. and they'd reduced and reduced and reduced exactly. and in some cases eliminated their print advertising and that shift from print to digital over those 10 years just was a slow inexorable shift mm. and those are the ones you want to get on board the okay. slow almost invisible unrecognizable 
but inexorable shifts. Mm. Those but are the trends you want to get on. The thing is, it's still happening to this day. Like Absolutely. This, this undiscovered So the gig is to look out for those. Yeah, and especially and get with on COVID the trend. and everything that's happening, it's creating a whole layer of different things. That and it's only accelerated those shifts. Yeah, that's Absolutely. Right. Mm. Um, so in terms of what you do personally, mm. you know, just with our final topic for today, is it's around the solutions that you provide to startups. Mm. Where do you think um, startups needs the best help? Yeah, so having had yeah. sort of 20 years in the startup scene, mm. 10 years as founder through to exit, and the last 10 you know, as a funder, advisor, mentor, investor, I can now, not just a startup, but I, I just say broaden it to any tech businesses. So I'm working with ASX listed, now what you'd otherwise call an SME, mm. through to a startup, mm. you know. Um, and I can usually go in and we can have a chat and there's something I can help them with. Because I've probably seen, done it all, made all the mistake, got the t-shirt, right? And I can maybe, there's a piece of work I can do for them over a few weeks or a few months. So I've got about half a dozen clients I'm working with currently. Um, very busy, always getting inquiries, which is lovely, um, where I can help them. And I love doing that because that means I could just work with whoever I want to. Mm. I don't have any staff. I don't have a boss. It's great. <laughs> But it's an incredible, it. it's, like, it's a very active scene at the moment, the yeah. startup scene, like surprisingly with yeah. everything that's happened this year. And the tech scene more broadly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. People are looking, I think especially with that um, instability in the stock exchange and all that sort of stuff, people are looking mm. for different ways to invest their money. Yeah. So now's a really good time. Obviously, property is very safe, but just like you said, putting 10 grand or small portion of your investment yeah. into a startup. Well, even yeah. as a state or as a country, if you look back at the GFC, the countries and regions that invested and supported innovation mm. did about 30% better than those that didn't. Coming out of the gym, you innovate yourself out of a crisis. I know the natural thing is to hunker down and try and protect everything, but actually it's time to go, wait a minute, we can reset and rethink here. How do we need to rethink how, and all businesses have had to do this, it's been forced on them this year, which I think weirdly has been a good thing of COVID, not, not downplaying its, not, not downplaying its difficulties and, and the impacts mm. it has. Of course, those people who've lost their businesses and livelihoods is, is very frustrating uh, and sickening for them. But, you know, most businesses now realize they're a business, they're a digital business, they're a tech business, at least to some degree, if not completely. And so they're looking at these new tools of communicating. And now I think we're just going to have blended meetings, right? Yes. Where it's going to be a mixture of Zoom and not every board meeting is going to need to be in person. Not every meeting in office needs to be in person. Mm. But not every meeting should be in Zoom either. So yeah, it's yeah. a blend. It's right, a blend. I mean, like even with our clients or in our team, you know, we're on Zoom, but we're on Slack, and we're on. Some mm. of them are texting, some of them messaging. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so it's whatever goes. Emails, you know. You just got to have that level of flexibility, especially when you're. And really, if you look at governments. They can't really put interest rates down any anymore. They're mm. already at like 1.25%, half a percent, whatever it is. Mm. You know, you put, I'm an economics teacher. They say that interest rates are like a piece of string. You can pull on it, but you can't really push it. Right? There's only so much leverage you can get by cutting interest rates. So mm. there's not many more monetary policy we can do. When you look at fiscal policy, I mean, we're spending money like, we can't do that forever. Yeah. Who's gonna get us out of this? Yeah. Innovators are gonna get yeah, us out of this. Right. They're gonna create jobs, scale businesses, tech companies they're the ones that are going to get us out they always have mm. entrepreneurs they're the one that creates jobs yeah. government should actually get out of the way and let them get on with it but where they need to where the market fails to support them 
have great programs like Accelerating Commercialization and others and support those startups and, and sectors, regions that need help and yeah. let them get on with it because they're the ones that ultimately will create the, the yeah. wealth and the value and the jobs and all that good stuff. And hopefully the government will do the right things between yeah. now and the next six months to try and uh, you know, cater for that innovation locally as well as on a national scale. Well, I scale. think we've got to say we're pretty yeah. lucky to be oh, in WA. Even though it wasn't luck, we've chosen to be here or remain here. Yep. But yeah, you take an isolated city and we locked down pretty early. We've been very aggressive with it. Borders yep. are closed. And goodness for the mining industry and everything else has kept going and rolling on. That's been fantastic. So actually, mm. we didn't have a recession last year in WA. Australia yep. did, but yep. WA didn't. That's right. And yep. we've even got a surplus. WA brought in a state government surplus. It was a yep. technical surplus, but it was a surplus <laughs> on the books um, last week or the week before. So mm-hmm. we're very fortunate to be where we are. So I think we should make the best of this opportunity and go, let's become the tech center we know we all can be. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in this part of the world, in this time zone, this time zone we share with you know, billions of people in China and if you include India and Japan, which you sort of can do, one of so hours either side of us, we've got like 60% of the world's population. Yeah. You know, and it's a great place to live. Why can't Perth be this fantastic, pulsing, pulsating innovative tech, um, tech innovative culture, community yeah. right. oh, mining you. great keep it <laughs> property great got nothing of nothing and against if you can make it. it here you can make it anywhere Act else tech <laughs> medical health education woo yeah, yeah, yeah. but tech as well yeah. right why oh, not that's great oh, it's great um, thanks um, Charlie it was pleasure been awesome having you on the show and great sharing some of your insights with us um, Charlie, how can people find you and, and get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks. Um, jump onto my website, Damburst. Yep. Damburst.com.au. Yep. Um, I'm on Twitter at Chaz Gunningham. Yep. Instagram, Facebook, and all the usual things. Fantastic. So, um, I came up with the word Damburst because I suddenly thought of this line, better you burst the dam than have a Damburst on you, <laughs> which is sort of a whole yeah, idea yeah. around digital transformation, yeah, disruption. Okay. You know, Make sure you make the changes in your business and you're in control of them Before rather than be swamped by the chains that are hits. coming yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway. So, yeah, Fair enough. Damburst is the brand under which I, I go. Damburst Advisory. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. Awesome, Thank Charlie. You. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, hope you enjoyed this episode. So please subscribe to our YouTube channel and do follow us on LinkedIn. We are on LinkedIn Live. So uh, thanks for your time. And awesome. Cheers. Thanks, Ed. Bye.